Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time joining us, uh, we would always like to invite our visitors to subscribe so that you can continue to get uh, updates on messages and other podcasts, um, as well as just different happenings and events that might be going on at Life Church. If you live in the Canton area, uh, I'd love to have you join us. Um, also, if you would like to be a part of uh, what we're doing here at Life Church. If you want to invest, if you would like to give, uh, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org/give, and there is information for how your giving makes an impact, as well as information on how you actually can give. Uh, we're in a series called Galatians, and this upcoming message is coming from Pastor Nathan. And um, I do want to mention this just ahead of time. If you have little ones. Uh, nearby listening, maybe in the car or something. Um, There's a little bit more mature content as we're talking about um, the relationship between Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and uh, in Genesis. And uh, yeah, it's it's probably a little bit more mature um, than maybe the elementary age. So if you're not prepared to have those conversations yet, uh, maybe just prepare ahead of time. Um, But without further ado, here's Pastor Nathan with Galatians. Uh, and this is in chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Enjoy the sermon. I, I am so grateful that you are here encountering Jesus with us. Man, God is he's doing some pretty incredible things online and in person. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I, I just, I know that he is moving in a new way. And man, I, I just am grateful to be along for the ride. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're brand new for the very first time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. We're experiencing some things for the first time together, all of us. And, and that's, that's fun and exciting and a little bit weird. And, and I love it. And I love what God is doing as we submit to what he wants to make happen in our community. We've been going through a series in Galatians and basically going through Galatians and taking our time with it. And it's been beautiful. I want to encourage you to go check it out. Last week... Pastor Jared talked about Paul, and Paul is writing a letter to these Gentiles and uh, to this Galatian church. It's a letter. He planted the church, and now he's writing to them because they had returned. They had gone to some weird things. They had gone back to something called the law, and they had taken that upon themselves, and he's rebuking them, like, hard. Like, he's rude at times. He's aggressive. He's angry. He makes fun of them. Um, But last week, and you're like, well, that sounds wonderful. It's fierce. It's fiery, but because they're moving away from grace, and Paul experienced grace like no one else, and he didn't want anyone to lose the joy and freedom of grace. Last week, he's like writing this letter in this moment. It's almost like he gets emotional and starts becoming very vulnerable with them. And you can almost feel like he's like, all right, done with that. Time to get back to all the reasons why you messed up, okay? And it's like, oh, okay, whew, this is exhausting, but it's good. And I find so much hope and joy in the promises of Jesus. We're getting right back into it. We're going to be in Galatians 4, Galatians 4, 21, as we work our way through. Now, he starts a new thought. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? He's like, oh, you want to be under the law. You don't even know what the law says. Like, you want to be part of this thing, but you don't really understand what's going on. He's kind of like showing them in a, this next moment that they don't even understand that the law, this thing that was set up to help people in preparation for Jesus, did just that. And when people return to it and miss Jesus, 
They're missing out on what he's doing. Now, these Judaizers, they're the group of people who want the Gentiles, who are not Jewish by birth, to become Jewish, to do all of the kosher things, to do all of the holidays, and for the males to get circumcised, the cutting of the foreskin. I mean, that's, that's intense. Like, it's a big deal. But it isn't just the actions. That's not what he's concerned about. He's concerned about going back to things that could never save people. And so he's like talking about the Judaizers put forward this argument, and they go back to Abraham, back to the Old Testament, to the founding fathers of all of our faith, and they're using that as an argument for why the Gentiles should be circumcised. And Paul's about to turn that all on his head. The last time I, I think it was last time or the second time or two ago, I preached a message called Life in the Parentheses, Life in the In-Between, because Paul has already talked about Abraham. And in it, I talk about how Abraham and Sarah were full of faith. Even though they couldn't see it, they were declared righteous because they believed the promise of God. The promise of God was this. Abraham, I'm going to make you a huge, massive nation. Your descendants will outnumber the stars. Not only that, but because of you, the entire world will be blessed. Imagine if someone made that promise to you. That's, that's intense. But there was a big in-between the promise, and seeing it come to pass. The promise to Abraham and Jesus Christ rising from the dead with grace and victory in his hand. And we talked about living in the in-between. We talked about how we had to exercise faith, that we have to believe the one who promised even when things don't look like it's going to happen. And that faith is exercised. And some of you are in the parentheses. All of us were in the parentheses with the pandemic, the in-between, this waiting period of, and hopefully that like that back parentheses, what are they called? Anyways, it, hopefully that one's done. I don't know. But we're like in the middle of it. But some of us have been that with our relationships, with, with problems and issues. And we're in the in-between. And we get exercised. Do we believe in God? Abraham's faith was so strong that after his son was born, which was such a long journey, he was willing to sacrifice his only son to be faithful to God's plan, setting up an example for us, as well as mirroring what Jesus Christ did for us in the future. So Abraham, I set him up as this awesome guy, as really quite awesome. Let's see how Paul talks about him next. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Wait, what? Two sons. We just talked about Isaac. Sarah and Abraham had Isaac, and they were really old. Who are they talking about here? He had two sons, and it's a slave woman. What, what is he referring to? And you may not know this story or think about it much, but we're going to dive into it today because Paul is using it, this argument from the Judaizers, and he's flipping it on its head. Let's continue on in verse 23. Well, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise, okay? So Isaac, divine promise, we get this. So what's this other child of the flesh? What's happening here? I, I thought that Abraham was amazing. Well, this is life in the parentheses, life in the in-between when things are hard, part two, Abraham and Sarah's mistake. You see, they weren't always super faithful. They made a massive mistake that had incredible ramifications. And so what do we do when we make mistakes in between the promise of God uh, for us and its fulfillment. That could look like a lot of different things for each of us. 
So Genesis 16, 1 through 2, I want to take us back to when this started. So they had been promised that they would have descendants, but it had been a minute. And by a minute, she was like, Sarah, Sarai was 80 years old, and Abraham was 90 years old, and Sarah had never had children, and she was even past that age. The inference here is past menopause at this point. Even if she could have it, it wasn't possible. It was done. It was over. Genesis 16, 1 through 2. Quick disclaimer before we get into this. We're going to be talking about sex today uh, quite a bit, but also about abuse, and uh, specifically sexual abuse. And I just want you to know that if, some, if that triggers you and you need something and you want to find a pastor, even in the middle of the message, you're not going to offend anyone, uh, or if you want to talk to me afterwards, we understand that this can be difficult. Genesis 16, 1 through 2. Now Sarai, this is before her, she, her name was changed to Sarah, but that's Sarah, and Abram, that's Abraham. Now Sarah, Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now this was a generally accepted practice back then. In those days, the slave's fertility was for the use of the family. And so if there was no inheritance, if there was no one there to inherit everything, no male heir, then they would use the slave to have a child. It's an accepted way of making sure that you take care of the inheritance. Now, it elevates the slave woman. Her status all of a sudden becomes much higher because they are the mother to the new heir. And it's not quite like surrogate pregnancies that are going on today. Like we have surrogate pre pregnancies that are popular among celebrities, but also some people can't. And so they'll, they'll take their egg and, and they'll, they'll fertilize it and then they'll put it into a woman and then that woman carries one. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that Abram is having sex with Hagar until she conceives. Even though these things would have meant a new life for Hagar and a new future and to be grafted into the family on a, on a somewhat level status, it was power leveraged against Hagar. It is abusive. And while she benefited in the long run, it was unholy and not good for Hagar. We sometimes take things into our own hands. We hurt people. And though it seems so ugly and horrible to us now, it made complete sense in the world then. It was smart, logical, respectful, good legacy planning. It was good for her. I mean, she's a slave. Might as well do this. There's a small town. This isn't just one little tiny family. They had to inherit. They had so much. They had like basically a traveling town that needed security. And so Abram and Sarai made this decision together. The promise of God is that Abraham and Sarah would have more descendants than the stars in the sky, and yet they take control of it into their own hands. On top of that, this is against God's plan for relationships. This is infidelity. It damaged Sarah and Abram. It damaged them. It damaged their unity. It damaged God's plan for them. It was against God's promise for them as well. But most importantly, in my opinion, it was abuse against Hagar. Well, Hagar becomes pregnant. Sarai gets what she wants, and she gets upset about it. Anyone ever got what they wanted and then it turned to poison in their mouth? Like, yeah, don't look at your spouse. Uh, you know, like, I'm kidding. No one's thinking that. It, God uses all things. But we get what we finally want and it's not what we really wanted. 
and then we're living with it. So she drives Hagar out. She even breaks the rules of the day. The rules were, if this happens, you have to take care of this woman because she is important. She has given something of herself, but she drives him out, and all of a sudden, Hagar is in the middle of the desert all by herself, and she has a baby inside of her, and she has nothing, and she is despondent, and God says, go back, go back. I will take care of you. And he named, uh, tells her to name the child Ishmael, which means God hears. And I want you to know, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what situation you're in, maybe you got something you didn't want or you realized it was a mistake, it doesn't matter. God hears you and he will use it. He will use it and he will take care, especially those who, though no fault of their own, have been given a raw deal. God hears you and will use it. Now, what, why this is important is because Paul is saying, listen, all of humanity in the Jewish people's eyes were descendants of either Ishmael or Isaac or Sarah and Hagar, which means they were either part of the promise of God or they're slaves. They're part of slaves. And they viewed all Gentiles as descendant from Ishmael, which means all the people are slaves, but they're ignorant as well because they didn't have the law. The Jewish people had the law, so they were chosen by God and it was good. And that's the exact argument that they're making to Gentiles. So I'm like, become Jewish people because we're like, we're like, we're like pretty, pretty cool. Like, you should do this. And Paul's like, no, no, no. It's the opposite now. I'm going to turn everything on its head. Verse 23. His son by a slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. Essentially, all of them, according to Jewish understanding, are children of Ishmael and Hagar, continuing on in verse 24. Now, I've used a paraphrase from 24 to 28. The reason why I'm doing that is because it best breaks down what this passage says for the short term. But I encourage you, there is a depth of knowledge in here, and it is just a treasure trove. You should go into it, spend your own time in it, ask some questions, because we won't have time to unpack it today. But let's go through it. Verse 24. This illustrates the very thing we are dealing with now. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem where the Jewish people are. A slave life producing slaves as offspring. This is the way of Hagar. He just flipped it on his head. No Jewish person would ever say that. But he's saying because the law Because the law is there, they are slaves. In contrast to that, there's an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother. This is the way of Sarah, the promise. Remember what Isaiah wrote. Rejoice, barren woman who bears no child. Shout and cry out, woman who has no birth pangs, because the children of a barren woman now surpass the children of a chosen woman. That phrase in itself and his using it is worth the whole entire sermon, but I want to continue on with this. Isn't it clear, friends, that you, like Isaac, are children of promise? Isn't it clear? Now, they would have got that. To me, it's not clear right away. But as you start to engage with this, you realize that when you go to laws and rules and worldly ways of doing things, it puts you into slavery. And what you produce and everyone you influence are influenced to be a slave, not free to make their own decisions. For Paul, The promise of Jesus Christ and the law, they're opposites. They cannot exist together. The law is fulfilled in Jesus, yes, but you can't have both. 
His own experience convinced him that the law brought men and women into bondage while the gospel was a message of liberation. And so he's saying, no, Hagar's family has the law. Sarah's family now. He's turning the allegory, the illustration on its head. He's using the very thing they argued to get them to go into it, to get them out of it. He's saying to return to the law was to return to the way of slavery. So what was Abraham and Sarah's mistake? What was Abram and Sarai's mistake at the time? What did they do wrong? Did you catch it? What they chose? They chose the world's way to get the promise of God. They chose to take control into their own hands and to do it the world's way instead of resting in God doing it. Now, to be fair, like, they couldn't have kids, so it seemed impossible. So they had to trust in the impossible, and they didn't. And the Galatians do the very same thing, and we do the very same thing. We do. We have desires in our heart And we feel, as Americans and people in general, that it is up to us to fulfill them and to get it whatever way possible. And in in so doing, we will accept pretty much any way of accomplishing that task because our desires are so overwhelming to us. And Sarai's desires, Abram's desires were so overwhelming to them. When I talk about this, I love the passage, Psalm 37 Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds good, doesn't it? Delight in God, like have fun with Jesus, and he'll give you whatever you want. He'll give you that F-150. He'll give you that nice house. He'll give you that boyfriend, that child. Doesn't, isn't that what it says here? What does your heart desire? My heart desires a lot of things, like consoles, like I know I can imagine a lot of money. Like, you know, it's this idea of like we, we can desire lots of things, but this passage isn't really saying that. First of all, delight yourself in the Lord make, means to make yourself soft, to make yourself pliable, and to make yourself relaxed and open. It's the idea of like be with God in a way where you take down all the defenses and all the things and all the things you do to take care of yourself. You just open up the gates, you drop down the drawbridge, and you let God in to your heart. And then it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We think, oh, these are the things I desire, so he's going to give me that. No, he's going to put into your heart the desires that he has for you. He's going to give you the things. I remember uh, when my first child was born, um, it was beautiful. I was worried that I wouldn't have much time to play video games anymore, and I, I didn't. Um, that hasn't changed. But what is interesting is when my first child was born, I had such a desire to play video games. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And then I'm holding this child, I'm like, nothing matters. Like, I was like, like that desire, and so I still play video games, but that dis- overwhelming need that overwhelming desire to, like, I must have this in my life, died in the face of my son. And isn't that what God wants to do in us? He wants to, in our hearts, give us the things we desire, but we don't want that. We want safety, purpose, significance, being known, being loved on our terms, in our way, and we don't even know how to do it half the time, but it's our way, and we're going to do it, gosh darn it. No, actually kind of appropriate, like whatever God wants. I don't care about that. I want to do it my way. So we choose 
the flesh over the promise. That's what it means, the flesh. We chose our desires over a promise of God. The promise to meet every desire of your heart, to help you feel safe and secure and known and loved and a purpose and significance, all these things. God wants that for you, his way, not yours. Sometimes we take things into our own hands and it turns to poison. Now watch what happens 10 years after Ishmael is born. This is what happened next. God comes back to Abram, and this is when he becomes Abraham and Sarah. And he says, I am going to give you this promise. He reaffirms again and again and again because we need to hear things again and again and again. Genesis 17, verse 16. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. He's saying, Sarah, Sarah's going to have a baby. And Abraham fell face down and he laughed. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Let that sink in for just a moment. Abraham, this is like one of the few times Abraham actually had a dialogue with God instead of just listening. And Abraham laughed at God. I'm going to give you a suggestion. If you ever talk to the God of the universe, don't laugh at him. Okay, that's not a good idea. And everyone's like, well, you can't really tell why he was laughing. Maybe he was laughing because he's like, he's like, God doesn't know how old we are. Doesn't he know how this all works? Or like, maybe he's laughing because we stopped having sex years ago. I don't know. Like, maybe he's laughing because he thinks God's being ridiculous. Or he, maybe he's laughing because he's angry and all he knows is too. He's like, life, you're going to keep doing this to me, God? I don't know why. I tend to think it was in derision that he knows better than God because of what happens next. But this great man of faith is laughing at God. And then he does something that's even crazier, something that I think defines many of our experiences with God, many of the world's experiences with God. This verse, I think, is pretty powerful to what we experience on a daily basis in this walk, Genesis 17, 18. And then after he had left, Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And you're all like, wait, what? Why is that important? Why is that huge? Here's what's happening in this moment. God is saying to Abraham, God, at this point, he's proven himself in so many ways. I am going to do a miracle. Your wife, who can't have kids, and you, I can't have kids at this point. That's the inference here. Both of you are going to produce a child, and I'm going to make good on the promise, and I'm going to do it in a way that no one else can do it, and it's going to be a miracle. And what does Abraham do? First, he laughs at God, and then he says, no, I don't want that. Would you just bless this thing instead? Would you bless my sinful decision, the way I controlled things, my plan? See, God, you didn't show up quick enough, so I took it into my own hands. And now that you're offering me this promise, no, 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 I want you to take this instead. Now, Ishmael is not a bad individual. I'm talking about what he chose to do and how he chose to do it. It's like a child lifting up a mud pie and saying, can we have this for dinner instead of the five-course meal that we are prepared? But it's worse than that because it isn't just like, hey, this is another way. This was an abusive way. This was not God's plan. This showed their lack of faith in this and it hurt people in the process and damaged their marriage forever. It's like holding up a turd to God. Say, bless this. You know, they, they're pretty down to earth, down the river where I was recently. And they said, well, you can't polish a turd. 
Don't we often... Some of you got visuals and you didn't want them. I'm sorry. That's why it's so important because we do this all the time. We go outside of God's plan. We choose our own way. We do it in our own power thinking we need to help God do it. And I don't, this could be it. So we, and then we say, would you bless this instead of the promise that he has for us? God is, or Abraham is so enamored in his own way that he can't see what God has for him. Paul says to the Gentiles, this church, like, stop it. Not only, you're worse than Abraham, because Abraham at least didn't see it. He couldn't see it. You've experienced the promise. He walked among you. You have a freedom, and you are going back to it. 2 Peter 2.22 says this, a dog returns to its vomit and a washed pig returns to the mud. It's this idea of like you have experienced freedom, but you're returning to it. But it's even more than this. Like pigs, they love mud. They need mud. It's part of it. They, you know, but there's the story, this fable, this uh, tale that I remember hearing about a pig who was in the mud and it was fine, but he desired to fly. He desired to be this eagle that soars in the sky. He wanted to find the freedom of flight and to be able to see far and to do all of these things. That was the biggest desire of his heart. And a wizard came along one day and said, sure, I'll make you an eagle. Makes him an eagle. It's beautiful. He flies into the sky. He's having so much fun. It's, it's such a joy to him. And he's like, oh, what a blessing. This is so cool. And he's flying along and he looks down and he see all his old pig friends. And they're wallowing in the mud. They're walling in the mud. And they're just like rolling. He's like, that looks so fun. And he has all this nostalgia for it. And he returns down to it. And he's like, oh, I want to be in the mud. And, and this beautiful eagle, maybe a bald eagle, I don't know, big old bird, beautiful eagle can fly in the sky, jumps into the mud and starts rolling around and looks freaking ridiculous. But on top of that, the problem is he's not a pig. And so the mud gets caked into his feathers. And he can't move, and all of a sudden, he's not enjoying it anymore. And he's like, this doesn't feel the same. And now he's afraid, and a hunter comes along and kills him because he's so kicked down in mud, he can't move. This is who we are. The Gentiles are returning to the old ways, but they can't. It offers nothing to them anymore, and we do this too. We find freedom in Christ, and then we return to making decisions our own way. And we are worse off than we, if we had ever known Jesus in the first place. There's hope. And I want to point out some of the ways that we do this. And so I hope that God will give you a heart to listen and hear that the Holy Spirit convicts you, not me. We do this with our work and our finances. Our work is so important to us in America as well. We work and work and work and work to have more money, to be wealthy, to be safe, to have be happy. We take these core longings of safety and significance and, and of being known and all these things, and, and, and we let work fill that. So we have a godly desire that God has given you a desire to feel safe, but not safe in the world standards, because safe in the world standards, roof over your head, three square meals, all the things that you can want, financial security in the future, that's safe according to the world. Well, I, I don't know, but there's a whole lot of Chinese people who follow Jesus who don't have any of those things following Jesus, and yet their core desire of safety and feeling protected, they have that in Jesus Christ. Work in America has become something that we're holding up to God and just saying, see, I've done all these things, now help make me feel secure, make me feel safe. 
Work also gives us our significance, our titles, how hard we worked, how long we've been there, how long we go forward, what our role is, how important we are to the people around us. Work can become the place that we find significance. And we trade the significance of being a, a son or daughter of the king of the universe with the power that comes with that for a title of assistant manager or CEO. We find our significance, a godly desire in our work. Now, work is supposed to be something that helps us be who God's called us to be. Don't get me wrong. We have vocations. We have callings to be who God made us to be. That is worship. But when work becomes our worship, when we worship work for what it can give us, that's where the problem comes. We work to have significance and position and how it fulfills our needs and allows us to feel powerful and get what we want. And we say, God bless my job when our job is the very thing that's keeping us from relying on God. Legacy. We talk about the past or what our future will be for our kids. More and more and more and more to leave our children. There is a desire that we need to leave possessions or things to our children, money. That is something that many, many, many Americans go after. And as Christians, we've kind of slipped into that. So we talk about this idea of generational wealth. Generational wealth is this idea of what you leave to your children. And it's generally to be considered wealthy in America, you need to make between $1.9 and $2.5 million, which means that your assets, everything you own, retirement, everything total to that amount, which means there's a good amount of us who by the time we retire will be wealthy. And the desire is that it is good to give those things to your kids. Who would disagree with that? Well, stats would disagree with that. See, 70% of generational wealth, the thing that you put all together your whole life, 70% in the first generation will be completely gone. And by 90%, uh, or by the next generation, 90% will be gone. There are entire organizations that are just trying to get you to help you teach your kids how to not lose your money. But then they're ignoring also the psychological defects that happen. Because Why? Why, 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 why? Because if you grow up your entire life being confident in the fact that you have a lot of money, you never need to be confident in the fact that you have a God who you need. You never need God. And so this is over and over again has shown issues. You know, there's, a, there's, there's someone that I really respect who said this. Watch out! Life isn't found in the abundance of things. Do you know who said that? Jesus. He said that. He says, watch out. You can't find life in things. And then he went on to tell a story. And he says, there's a rich man who had an amazing harvest. And he looked at what he had with his storehouses and said, I have so much. Tear down the perfectly good functioning storehouses and build bigger ones. And he says, fool, do you not realize that your life will be demanded of you tonight? We put so much in leaving things for our kids when in reality, all we're doing is setting them up for failure. Do some research on this and then you can tell me why you'll be in the 10%, not the 90. Because a lot of people have been trying to do that for years. Let me explain it this way. We, we have continued to build new storehouses bigger and bigger and bigger. Since 1950, back then, the average household was 3.7 people. Now the average household is 2.6 people. But our houses have tripled in size. We are building really big storehouses that are pretty empty. We as a community have found worth in these things, and they do not offer us anything good. Listen, 
you need to offer your children a legacy of faith. It's more important than an education, vacation, experience, sport, or trust you can provide them. Because without Christ, if they do not know Christ, they have nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. In fact, you may be keeping them from the desperation they need to find Jesus. I'm telling you, God is wrecking my entire understanding of finances. He really is. He wants to use it for his glory, invest in the kingdom of God. I just had someone who told me a story in between about their son who, uh, someone came up to them, and I'll make this really quick, but it's just powerful. An individual came up to them, and they were there for a car, like their car wasn't working, and they had started a conversation, and they're like, oh, you need a car. I got a car for you. I'll buy you a car. And they're like, what? This random stranger wants to buy me a car? Yeah, I want to buy you a car. Okay, and then they went and they said, oh, you, you used to drive an F-250. I'll actually just buy you an F-250, a brand new one. Bought him a brand new car. He says, oh, man, that's incredible. Why? And then he said, hey, and this is a true story. He's like, he's like oh, where do you live? Well, I live in here, and it's a house. It's a lot, oh, a lot of house, and it's always falling apart, and I can't keep up. And he goes, okay. He says, well, let's, um, well, what kind of house are you looking for? And so he goes and finds a house, cash offer for way under, buys a house and just gives it to him. Gives him a brand new truck and a brand new house. And the guy's like, why are you doing this? He says, because we're extremely well off. And what we found is that our kids just want what we have. And so we do this to show them that our money is not for our own pleasure, but to take care of other people. And I'm just blown away to have that kind of ability. But they understood that. I, I talked to other Jared today where he's having friends who, who their children are growing up with all of this wealth and now they're, they're realizing that wasn't good for them. Wealth is not a bad thing. I'm all for it. Like I am if you're using it for the kingdom. But recognize that there is no legacy in just leaving money to your kids. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. And we say, God bless the estate, the money, and the trust to care for the children you've given me. <laughs> oh God, bless what I have done to care for the children that you have given me. Instead of God, would they know you and love you more than anything else? And now I'm going to talk about romantic relationships. I'm going to talk about sex. And this is going to be maybe a little hard to hear. Uh, and I hope that you listen. I hope that you hear. When we do not submit our sexual practices to Christ, to God, to his plan, we take it into our control. We do that. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about sex. You know, let's talk about what this means. Because many of us have adopted the world's way of understanding the way we live out our sexual practice. Students, students, listen. Listen, you may not really care. Like maybe you're not in that place where you have like the sexual desires yet or they're just coming and awakening inside of you. Listen, God wants to give you the desires of your heart for significance and security and for connection, all of these things, but he wants to do it his way. When you have these extremely strong desires starting to birth inside of your heart, know that God has a plan for you and it's more beautiful and more powerful than you can ever imagine. But don't get into the lies now that the world has any answer for you. They don't. It will leave you wanting and broken and frustrated and alone, even if you're with someone. And I mean this because I see it over and over and over and over again. Students, you have an opportunity to let God meet you in your heart and give you the strength to carry through in his way. He wants to give you the desires of your heart, but we want to take it for ourselves. 
This is what happens in our church. A lot of the people who are dating in our church right now that have never been married before, they're having sex. And those who have been divorced or they lost one, those Christians are more likely to engage in sex before marriage too because they're like, hey, who, who cares? We've already gotten through this. And when we do that, what we do is we take into our own hands our desires. We are becoming selfish to meet our own needs our own way, which is antithetical to love, antithetical to what God wants for us, and it takes away the ability for him to, it doesn't take the ability away from him to do something, but it really makes it difficult because we're so infatuated with meeting our desires and our need. Listen, sex is made for marriage between a man and a woman, and it and guess what? Marriage isn't going to be for everyone. God has called many to be single, including the person writing this letter, Paul. But he still wants to meet the desires of your heart. So if you don't have sex or can't have sex, then how could he meet those desires? It must mean that there is something deeper that God wants us to have that isn't represented in that physical act of sex, but it, that physical act of sex is part of it. Listen, when I'm talking to you about this, like some of you are feeling ashamed, some of you are angry at me, but the reality is I'm trying to set before you life. That God wants to meet those desires inside of you and meet you in that. When we take our desires on, we make them into a reality ourselves. We step out of God's plan and we are no different than Sarai and Abram. And then we will often, in marriage, and this happens over and over again as us are doing premarital counseling again and again and again, when they come into marriage, they say, look, I've been doing it my own way. God bless this. And we whine and complain when he doesn't. Look, we get so fixated by our sexual desires and our right to live those out. And I am not talking about a specific group of people. I am talking to every single orientation in the room, every single situation in the room. We are so fixated in this culture with fulfilling our sexual desires. It's like staring at a candle flame for hours on end. Have you ever done that? And then look away, and there's this big, like, empty spot there. You can't see. It's like a blind spot. We're so fixated and looking on this candle over and over and over again. And then when we look away. We can't see what God has for us anymore. Just like Abram, he goes, he goes oh, you're going to give me the desire of my heart for a hundred years of my life, and you're going to give me a son. Can we just do this instead? My fear is that we have allowed ourselves to miss out on the true fulfillment of the desires of our heart because we want to do it our own way. I think pornography falls into this as well where we want to fulfill things our own way. So we do it on our own. The problem with pornography is it's not just that. It usually starts that way, but then it becomes an addiction, a way to feel wanted, a, a way to feel um, like you're in control and have power. It starts to, do you see how it grabs the rest of the desires? You have a physical need and then it starts away and then it grabs your heart and all of a sudden it's what makes you feel significant and what makes you feel safe. It's what you do to help yourself feel like you can relax. It's, it's control. Do you, do you see that things of this world steal and warp the desires of your heart and they enslave you? God is doing a new thing and he wants to give you so much. And if you're struggling with addiction or you're struggling with pornography, man, I... I want to be there with you. I want to help you. I want to love you through it because it is devastating. But let's talk about romantic relationships outside of sex. You see, so much of us will not, so many of us will not submit our belonging to Christ. We won't submit our belonging to Christ. We, 
we say, look, I have got to make myself feel loved, and I can't possibly lose this. I put too much time into it. I can't do it God's way, or I might be alone. We've taken this on to our own, and so we settle for compromises in the faith because we're too afraid of letting God meet us in it. I know it's hard for you who are dating right now, those who are trying to stick to what God has called you to do and save those things for marriage, and you're literally having other Christians tell you that you are dumb and that this is the reason that you are alone, you're alone because you want to have sex. I know that is so hard, but stick to it. You know, when people come and they, they tell me they're getting married, and I, I always ask this question, why are you getting married? And it is beautiful. It's so much fun to watch. Have you ever seen like a newlywed couple or a couple that's about to be married, and they're like, their eyes are three times larger than they normally are? They're just like, oh, they just love each other. And I say, why are you guys getting married? And they're like, because they're amazing, and they're beautiful, and nothing they do annoys me. And like, no, no that's not true. A lot of them are a lot more sober than that. But they, but they say like, they're my friend, and they make me feel loved and I can't wait to live with my friend forever. And I said, okay, that's great. A very rare response, and this is when I said, do you know what the real purpose of marriage is? And they're like, what? I said, it's not you. It's not about your feelings and all that. The real purpose of marriage is so that together, as a team, as a couple, in your love for each other, two things happen. One, you serve God better together than you did apart. And two, you are now an example of God's love, Jesus' love for the church, and so people are watching. Those are the reasons why you get married. When I got married to my wife, our vows were, I choose to love you every day, and we made a conscious decision that we thought that together we could do ministry better than apart for us. And that's us. That's our situation. I'm telling you, I would be nowhere without my wife because she balances me out and she encouraged me to follow God's calling in my life. And that is what I want for you, and that doesn't always have to be found in marriage. That's what community is about. I, I'm telling you that there's something more for you. You guys, there's something more for you that God has for you. Rest in me and I will do this thing. The problem is many of us say, I don't want this blessing. Just take the thing I have and bless it. And oh my God, seriously, oh my God, I'm afraid that he's allowed many of us to choose it, to choose that thing, instead of what he does in just a moment to Abraham and Sarah. Now, God is going to use it. I don't want you to feel overshamed if you've made these decisions. There's a chance we're going to talk about what I want, would like you to do to repent and all that, but God will use it. And some of you, you didn't do anything wrong. You're like, Ishmael, I was just born into this. This isn't my fault. God will use it. God will redeem it. God will make it beautiful again. That's what he does. So don't, don't feel afraid. Just don't miss the next opportunity that he gives you. Genesis 17, 19. Instead of giving him what he wanted, God said, no, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Praise God when he tells you no, because none of you would be sitting here if he had said yes to Abram. He's God. He would have found a way, but that could have been the outcome. Praise God's no. Usually God's no to something is for something, and that's his purpose, but he's going to take care of the desires of your heart, 
And as we finish here, Galatians 4, 31, he goes back and says, stop going to the law, guys. Remember, this is slavery. Don't choose the world's way anymore. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. God is so good. He'll use whatever's going on in your life because Sarah, Sarah hated Ishmael. It shows up again and again that Sarah didn't want anything to do with Ishmael. He, she was like mad when he got it and then she got her own son and then she felt jealous and it was just a hot mess. You know, her decision messed everything up for her and her husband forever, wanted nothing to do with him. But now, Paul is saying, because of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all of us, all Gentiles, all of Ishmael's kids are now Sarah's descendants, children of the promise. God will use anything, and he will make it happen. I just want you to experience the next moment where he comes to you, and he says to you, I have something for you, and you haven't fixated your eyes so much on the flame of your desires that you can't even see it, and you don't go, well, I have this thing. Bless this thing instead. I have too much wrapped up in this. This mattered too much. This is what I, that you put it down, and you say, I will take whatever you have for me, God. That is what I want for you every moment of every day. And yet, we feel like God is holding out on us. And that he has these rules that have stolen from us all the things we could have, when in reality, he has a miracle for you. A miracle. So here's what I need you to do, what I would love for you to do. Here's the action steps as we close. Get baptized. There are those who need to share their story. If you accept Christ today, you need to get baptized. There are those who are in there in between. It's time. I'd love for you to come talk to me. I'm going to be down here. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll be here for a while. You can also sign up online on the Connect card, but like, get baptized. I want to hear your story. Right now, Ron uh, writes, and Pastor Ron is at a hospital. He's on his way, or he's there. Nope, he's there right now. And there's a woman who's at the end of their life. She's at the end. And He's there because she accepted Christ and he's baptizing her in the hospital bed. That is beautiful. That's wonderful. Don't wait. Don't wait to get baptized. We want to celebrate your story. Sign up today. This is the big one. And I was blessed that five, four or five people came afterwards to do this next one. They came over here during the song and afterwards, which I'll be here for. And they came to repent. They came to turn away from some things. To say, you know what? I have done this and I, I got to turn around. I'm not going to hold up my mud pie anymore. I'm going to turn towards Jesus. And I want you to know that it's good to do that with a person. You can do that on your own as well. But I'd love to speak life to you and to walk with you in this. I'm broken, just like you. I'm broken in need of a Savior. Ishmael means God hears. Some of the things that you have done and things that have done to you, God will redeem, even though it wasn't his plan. So I encourage you to come and repent. And this is for everyone, but especially if you're repenting, turning away from things like pornography, or you're like, I need to stop having sex, or I need to, with, my, with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or I, I need to do X, or I need to do Y. You need to do that in community because you're walking into something where you're going to forget the promises of God like Abram did and Sarah did, and you're going to need someone who keeps reminding you, no, hold on, hold on. I know it's hard. He's going to give you a promise of your heart, your true desire. You need that. So join a discipleship group. 
You can sign up for it. They're great. There's small groups of people who help people become accountable and talk to each other and grow in this. Do not do this alone. And as we finish, I'm going to invite people to respond. And then I'll be down here to pray with you, and I'll be here as long as it takes uh, for as many people as need to come. Would everybody stand in this moment? If you're online, just listen in. I think that everybody here needs to respond. It'd be very hard for you to listen to this message with your ear holes open and not hear something that applies to you. <laughs> but that's not important, what I said. What's important is what an encounter with Jesus is calling you to do. So close your eyes. And there are those in the room who need to respond in this moment. Some of you need to repent. Some of you need, know you need to take some actions and steps that you've been putting off. And there are those who need to follow Jesus for the very first time. They need to give their life over completely. And this is their moment. This is our moment. I want you to imagine that God is speaking to you and he has a promise for you and he's asking you to accept it. That's it. And I want to think about the things that are in the way that you might want to hold up. And I want you to release them. Those who need to follow Jesus for the first time, the thing that you need to release more than ever is your control over your life. And it's extremely hard to do, but it starts in this moment right now. So God is here. His presence is with us. And he's speaking to you right now. And he's saying, hey, come, follow me. I've made a way. So for you, I need you to choose it. I need you to choose it. You do this by talking to God and saying, God, I need someone to rescue me, someone to save me, someone to make a way. I want you to talk to God and say, I believe that Jesus Christ, he is the way. <laughs> He's truth. He's life. He died for me. So I choose him today. And I lay down my plans to follow him. To walk in this free gift that I have been given. Make me new. Give me new life. And I'll follow you. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening to this message. And uh, we're praying that you are inspired in some way or, or um, being led by the Holy Spirit to uh, make a change, to transform your life. Um, he's the one that does that. And so uh, we want to invite you into relationship with God so that God's Spirit can change you, can transform you. And we would love to know about it too. So you're not supposed to walk that journey alone. Uh, so feel free to go to our Now page and, uh, and click on the Connect card and fill out some information about yourself so that we can connect with you and help you take your next steps. Uh, that's lifechurchcanton.org slash now. Uh, we hope to see you back here real soon. Have a great rest of your day.